All right, it's finally here. <laughs> uh, after much deliberation and much, um, well, I'm really deliberation, just with much either busyness in the schedule, personally, or business in the schedule from a podcast perspective, a stuff that was time sensitive, we are finally ready to unleash the full uh, interview with Larry Hankin. Woohoo! Yeah, yeah. Uh, in it, he's going to talk about obviously his time on Friends. If you caught the Friends of the Podcast episode, you may have already heard this, but he talks for about a good twenty or so minutes about Friends. But he also talks about his stints on Seinfeld. He has a really funny story about. Uh, what he did in Home Alone and what he almost did in Home Alone. Uh, he's got some great stories about what he's up to now, about uh, what's it like to be remembered as Mr. Heckles, Yep. above all other things. And he even tells us about the time that uh, he was uh, he was involved in something that got nominated for Academy Award. Yeah. Yeah. And how, uh, really kind of an interesting perspective on someone for whom acting wasn't really the passion. Nope. Acting was the day job so he could follow his other passions so there's that so there's lots of interesting stuff coming up i i apologize to all parties involved but it's taken so long to drop the the fullness of it i still don't want to rush it in the middle of an already busy schedule no. so um our thanks go out to mr hankin of course who's nothing short of gentlemanly throughout yeah. our thoughts uh, and thanks go out to everybody who may have been waiting on this and uh we've taken a little bit of time to get there uh, yeah, so a little bit more content from the old BFE. Uh, it's worth a listen. Go ahead and listen to. Uh, I love the guy who doesn't have to do podcasts like this, and he does he, he he does a few of them, and um, didn't big time us at all. Not not at all. not no, not, no, no, not no. for a moment. And I'll, I'll be honest, I reach out to some people, and sometimes I get big timed. Yeah, very occasionally I get someone who uh, asks for compensation. Very occasionally you get a hold of someone and they might ask how your audience is. And most of the time you just never hear back. Yeah. And he couldn't have been anything but the opposite in every capacity. Not that he paid me. That would be the ultimate opposite. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, he was uh, he was an absolute gentleman and got a hold of me the next day and said he'd like to, to very much do another one. So um, let us know what you think about this and uh, it, you, your own favorite Larry Hankin moments or memories over on the Twitter. I'll still call it that, even though this is X on my phone. Yeah. Um, but uh we will go ahead and uh that's at best film ever pod at best film ever pod and uh if you want to have more of a say on the things that come to your uh come to your headphones twice a week why don't you go ahead and check out our patreon it helps keep the lights on here at the studio of awesomeness that's patreon.com slash bfe but with no further ado, I think I do hear the broom handle hitting the <laughs> hitting the floor from the apartment downstairs. Let's uh, pass it over to Mr. Hankin. We'll catch you on the flippity flop. The flippity flip flop. So uh, our guest today, um, a man who I think, well, according to his own words, is that guy. But let's tell you about that guy. Uh, he started off with a degree in industrial design from Syracuse University, beginning his career in film, according to my research, as an illustrator. Almost 60 years of film credits. The only man beside Brian Cranston to appear in Seinfeld, Malcolm in the Middle, and Breaking Bad. He's appeared in films such as Escape from Alcatraz, Pretty Woman, Amazon Woman on the Moon, Home Alone, Annie, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and TV shows like Mad About You, L.A. Law, Star Trek Voyager, 
He's played a homeless man three times. He's played God twice. But I think most people might recognize him best as Mr. Heckles. His book, That Guy, A Cautionary Memoir, is available on all good web platforms. We couldn't be more delighted to be joined by that guy, Larry Hankin, today. Hello, Larry. Um, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine. Uh, you sound great. Uh, and I'm glad to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. Jeez. Um, I'll tell you what, I was, uh, I've been flipping through your memoir, dipping in and out. And first you're off, not reading every single word, <laughs> you're just flipping. I intend, I intend to read every single word, oh, but okay. I thought, I thought full transparency here. <laughs> uh, can I, can I just compliment what I think is, is a wonderful storytelling, uh, style that you that you, your voice comes across oh, in the book it's it, it, it's a really funny self-deprecating informative read that you come away with this nugget of a story in in every chapter it's it's been an absolute uh delight just to sort of peruse through it on my way to reading the whole thing cover to cover <laughs> okay okay glad you added that thank you very um, much well thank you for you know saying all those good words i mean we worked on it. I tried to do what you say, and um, I think we we did it. You know, I mean, I try to make it a nice story, but the the key to that is the trick to that is I was telling all those stories after each show. You know, I'd do like say Friends or Seinfeld, and then my friends would ask me, "Hey, you know, what was that like working with blah blah blah?" And I and I tell them this the story. And I, after a while, I was thinking, you know, I'm going to forget these stories if I don't get them down. So I recorded them, you know, verbally just talked into a microphone. And another friend of mine, there's an app that you can, um, Microsoft, I think, you can take a tape and you can feed it into the app and it'll type it out. So that's how this, that's how the book came about is he fed it into this app and it typed it out. And then I wrote the book from the typed out series. What a tremendous ability to go ahead and do that conversational tone totally comes across in the book. Actually. Yeah. And that people, that's what people said. They say, Hey, it's like somebody's talking to me. They said, yeah, I, I think it's a natural story, a natural storyteller, sir. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you. I, I have to ask, I made an assumption right off the start, and so I do want to go ahead and start with this. Is Mr. Heckles, is, uh, from my perspective, I'm going, this, this has to be the role that you're most um, maybe recognized on the street for, things things of that nature. Am I incorrect, or is that is that the one that people seem to resonate most towards? Yeah, yeah I'm trying to figure out why. I, there's two things I think. Um, you you tell me. One is his attitude was just universal. It's just he was like the cranky a cranky landlord, which is what I took the character from. My grandfather was a cranky landlord of, of an apartment house, and he was Mister Heckles. So I guess I'm doing my grandfather is basically what I'm doing. But the the other so that it's that attitude of his, Mister Heckles, that I think connects with people. He's not nice. He just says what's on his mind. And it was written that way. So uh, I just, I, I didn't add anything. I just read what was on the page. And I thought, my grandfather, that's what he did. Uh, and the other one um, is that 
<clears throat> I don't know the writing. I think I think the, the writing, the, the the characters just written very well. I didn't add anything to it, but I was attracted to it when I read it. I mean, I just said, "Man, I want to do this. This is a really cool part." Because he was just against everything that you're supposed to be on television. You know, he's cranky. He didn't like anything. Everybody owed him stuff. I mean, it was just, you know, off the wall. So I loved it. That, and, so, and I guess everybody else did, too. I think it's the juxtaposition. I've never, I've never actually unpacked it. But, yeah, I think it's the, the juxtaposition of this cantankerous landlord type opposite the six super optimistic TV yeah, sitcom yeah, effervescent exactly. individuals. And you play him against Mr. Heckles, who who has kind of a, a, a very straight delivery vo- verbally, which kind of goes against the rise and the falls of yeah, the sort of yeah. traditional laugh tracky kind of sitcom thing. I think it's a wonderful counterpoint. He seems yeah, to be the... Yeah, it's exactly a counterpoint. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's okay. He kind of is the character that everyone loves to hate, but also kind of wants to be that person sometimes. I can imagine if <laughs> well, I lived right. above or below also, those people. Kind of yeah, person. No, I would be that person too if I lived <laughs> lived above or below these guys that are just always loud and always whatever. I think I'd be a Mr. Heckles every so often. <laughs> I did. I had dinner with a friend last night and I did Mr. Heckles. Not on purpose. I was just like <laughs> railing against him. I mean, for no, you know, because he was a friend, you know, and I said, well, I got a vent. I, I, I didn't think that. I just, I, I, in the middle of the conversation, I said, you know, he said, boy, you're really like uh, on, a, on a high horse about this topic, which is uh, homo sapiens. I was going on about <laughs> our species is just on the wrong track. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going on about. There's a Mr. Heckle's rant about the, uh, uh, about the planet. And uh, he said, you know, boy, you're really, you know, getting on about that. I said, I guess I'm renting. It's just Mr. Heckles. I'm just taking him home with me. Uh, (laughs) But I haven't done him in years. But but everybody talks about Mr. Heckles on the street. If I'm stopped, it's Mr. Heckles that they talk about. Weird. Um, Did you you complimented the writing on on the show? Did you, you, you've got, had a long career, you've done a lot of television. Was there, did you know there was something magic going on when you first signed up for, I think it was the one with the blackout, the one with the cat. Did you know in that episode that this was going to be something special or was it just a, a nice gig and now we're on to the next one, but didn't really, um, it, 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 it was just, a, it's just a normal day at the office, so to speak. All my roles are just a normal day at the office until I get there. Uh, and then, you know, shit happens. You know? Uh, and that's what the book is about. The, the, the shit that happens when you're going to just, to, you know, your job. You're just trying to do a good job. That's what you're trying to do. And then, you know, the wheels fly off or something goes wrong or something goes really great. Um, but it's a crapshoot. I mean, you don't know until you get there. First of all, it's a weird, it's a weird industry. I don't, it's not a business. It's an industry because everybody is a, everybody has a title and there's like a million directors that you have to go through to get to a real actual director whose title is in the credits. In other words, you're cast by a casting director. And then 
you go to the costume director, and then you go to, I don't know, another kind of director, and then you finally get to the director-director who's directing the show, and this is the first time you meet him. So he didn't hire you. You've gone through two, at least two, but at least three, uh, the makeup department and the costume department and the casting department. And then you get to the directing department, which is the set. So he's just meeting you for the first time, you know, the, the director of the show. And that's all the shows that I've ever done. Sometimes the director is there at the casting session, sometimes. I guess as you go up the scale and you get bigger parts and you become more important, or the, the character becomes more important, I think then the director starts to show up. But in a lot of my roles, I was just like a you know one-off, you know, a one-day player. And I just happened to, you know, hit the right tone so people rep- re- remember it. But I get on the set and, uh, well, here's a perfect example. Three times... I have been taken for the character that I was playing. One time I was playing a Hell's Angel, and the director confessed after the show was over. He apologized for the way he related to me because he thought I was a real Hell's Angel. And he didn't want to talk to me because he thought it would start a fight and he would lose. So he avoided me, and I was wondering the whole time... He's directing everybody. He's talking to everybody else, giving everybody else directions, and he's just avoiding me. The only thing he would say is, yes, stay there or move over there, and that would be it. But other than that, no no contact at all. Uh, three times that happened. Uh, one was the Hell's Angel. One was... Um, Oh, I, I, the character was written to be on LSD. Uh, <laughs> Kokolovich in uh, uh, Armed and Dangerous. Kokolovich was written as, a, as an acid freak who gets hired to be a, 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 you know, a cop sort of thing, a guard. But the director wouldn't talk to me the entire time, and I was on that for a couple of days. And I, you know, I... I said, well, he's weird, you know. The director is weird. He just doesn't talk to me. Okay. And then about a year later, I met him at a party, and I said, you remember, you know, you, we, we did that thing. And I, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were the ass of Kokolovich, yeah. I said, why didn't you ever talk to me? He said, I thought you were on acid. I thought they had hired somebody who was on acid. He just took acid, and that was the point. I didn't want to come near you because I didn't I didn't want to start a fight. I didn't know how to talk to you. He kept on repeating things. That was the the the, the weirdness. He'd say, uh, stand over there. He'd talk loud and slow to me. And I said, Well, you kept on talking loud and slow to me. He said, Yeah, I thought you were on acid and you didn't understand things. Because I said, Well, why did you assume that I was on acid? I was an actor. He said, Well, because when you were off you know, when you weren't working and, and being in a scene and you just, I would notice that you would just be quiet and watching things, you know, like somebody on acid. And I said, no, I was just curious as to how, how you make a movie. It was a movie. Yeah. I, said, I was curious. So I was just into everything. I'm, I'm a curious person. So I'd just be watching how the crew sets up this or how they set up the camera or what the angles were. 
or how they do it. And he says, so I think I assumed you were on acid. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. And then there was another time. So, I mean, a lot of times I don't know why people are relating to me or I just took a character because it just occurred to me. There was no no meaning behind it. No, I didn't have a plan about the character, Mr. Heckles or Kokolovich. I had no plan. I was just, okay, because I come from Second City. You know, you, people yeah. just yell out a, uh, a suggestion and you just got to do it. You, there's no time to, you know, go backstage. and. So that's where I was coming from, you know, improv. Is it challenging as someone who's got a such an uh, intense background in improv? Is it challenging then to stick to the writing as written? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can I say this? No, just read it as written. Uh, uh, I can say it funnier. No, just read it as written. I mean, because uh, you have to go through a whole bunch of. People to get it changed, you know, they have to, well, the writer isn't here. You know, we got to send it upstairs. Uh, you know, Larry Hankin, who's doing this part, wants to change the words. Can he say this instead of that? And then they got to come through the, the writer, then the director, then maybe the producer has to say something. And, you know, I forget it. I don't, I don't even want to say what I wanted to say anymore. Just, I'll just <laughs> do this. Fine. It's okay. Uh, I mean, it's just... You know, that's the job. <laughs> you know, the, the the job is not acting. The job is just listening to all the people saying what you can and can't do or what you have to and can't wear. You know, can I wear this? No, you have to wear that. Yeah, but this is really, no, just don't. Just put this on. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, people are just ordering you around because they can. Because, you know, well, I'm the costume director, so... I mean, I've, I can go on and on. <laughs> it's just, that's why I wrote the book. Man. Absolutely. It's a cautionary tale. <laughs> Here I'm telling you what it's all about. It's a caution. I'm just telling you, be careful. If you want to be an actor, be careful what you wish for, because you're going to get it in spades, man. Um. You had a, a, an iconic, and I want to come to it a little bit later, an iconic sort of one-shot episode on Seinfeld when that was maybe the biggest sitcom in America. But th- yeah. So you have that experience. Then a few years later, you get Friends. Did you know it was going to blow up? Did you know it was going to be huge? Well, you never know, man. I mean, you, you had mentioned this before about, you know, do you, do you know? Yeah. You show up and you do your part. And then a couple of months later, you know, it comes out. Or sometimes it's a year if it's a movie, you know, you don't even know. But you don't, you don't know. I mean, I was on um, <clears throat> Friends before it went on the air. Yeah, because what they did is they shot six, you know, episodes. And uh, I even asked, because I was, uh, it turned out I was on the third episode that was finally shown. They showed three. I was. In, uh, they showed the six, and I was in the third episode. But when they they shot the six before anything went up the air, I asked when my episode was going to be shown because I wanted to watch it and see what I did. And they said, "Well, we don't know what the order is yet. We're going to watch all six, and then 
put them in the right order. You know, we want to put the best one first. And, you know, so they said we didn't know. And then when the first, they thought it was going to be gone first. Uh, our friends, the one that I did, uh, Mr. Heckles. Yeah. So they thought that would go on first. And then when it did come on, it wasn't first. So I, then I called and I said, well, okay, now that the first one is on. And they said, it's going to go on third. So that's so you you never know. You just go in, you do your job, and whatever happens, and the story that comes out of that. But you don't know if you're going to be famous, or it's going to flop, or you're even going to be in it. A lot of times, you're in a movie. A, the movie doesn't come out ever, so you don't even know. Or B, it comes out and you're not in it. They cut your scene. You know. Or you come out and you're a big star, and well, how did that happen? I, you know, I, I don't know. So it's a crapshoot. Acting is a crapshoot, I think. You know, I mean, I got to tell you one thing before, before one, and then this is see what I'm doing. I'm also listening to myself go on about this as I'm talking to you. You know, I I hear what I'm saying, and I've done a lot of podcasts, and it always comes down to me venting about you know. And, and and the book. But I never wanted to be an actor, ever. To this day, it's not my thing. I just did it because I could, and I was kind of good at it so I could get another job. But the money is so great that you, it's hard to refuse, and that's the trap. That's how they... Keep you there, not how they get you there, but how they keep you there. Because you get a high salary, you get a nice apartment, and then you have to keep up the apartment by getting these jobs, by keeping on auditioning or becoming an actor because you can't get any other job that pays that much money to pay the rent on the apartment that you got because you were getting a lot of money being an actor. So it's like, and you stop being an actor, now you're just paying for the apartment by being an actor. You know, what happened? You know, where'd, where'd my dream go? I, I wasn't dreaming of being an actor. So that's what's going on. That's where I'm coming from, is that I never dreamed. I never thought. It never occurred to me when I was growing up to be an actor. I just fell into it, and they started pay me, paying me a lot of money. And I go, wow. And all of a sudden, you're trapped. I got to get another job. Send me up for another job. I got to get another audition. Why? You just yeah, but I got to pay the rent here, man. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but anyway, I, I'm sorry, but that that's yeah, that's kind of where I'm coming from with with the book. Absolutely. Uh, so, so when the something I I, I read in the book is um, because you were sort of a regular on Friends for those early seasons, but. Five. I, five episodes but because it was also a little bit sporadic that you were every time you came back you noticed differences in the way that the six main characters six main actors carried themselves and kind of you noticed that yeah oh, things yeah. Are, are getting to be a bigger deal around here did that sort of did that carry over to you when when, when you would come back would it be warm yeah. feelings to see you back again uh the great thing about Friends, and it didn't happen into any any others, no no reason, just how things fall in place. The great thing about Friends was, and how it was different from any others, 
I did five. So that was more than I had ever done in any other sitcom. So not only did I do five, but it was spread over three years. And the first one I did, Mr. Heckles, we weren't even, they weren't even, it wasn't even on the air yet. So nobody was a star. Nobody was anybody. We were all out-of-work actors, and some got the lead roles, and some got day players, and whatever. So everybody was totally equal. Nobody knew if it would even be sold. It wasn't even on the air. They were still making the the six. So that's how I, I said, okay, everybody's equal. Hi, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, he's a good actor. Wonder what he's doing. Oh, who's going to direct? It was all new. And nobody knew anything. Okay, so that was it. Then it came out, and it, it, it got sold. That was all. It wasn't a big hit. It got sold. So it was on. So that was the first year. Second year, I think maybe I did three, maybe, in the second year. And then the, th- and then the third year, I did one more. So I did one, three, and one. But in those three years, I come back, and there was a year in between. So each time I came back, the first thing that I noticed was the rehearsal clothes got really expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, man, you know, everybody's wearing these new jogging outfits the second year. You know, and then the the second part of the second year, when I was doing the second and third one, the third and the fourth one, all of a sudden there's the talk was about um, uh, escrow, closing escrow, (laughs) buying houses. And I noticed that talk and they were all huddling up. They weren't talking to any of the extras, any of the day players. It was all the five, you know, stars were just. After, you know, cut, then they would all huddle up and talk together, and you couldn't get in there. And so that was the second thing. And then the third thing was, they were talking about paving driveways, you know, in gated communities. <laughs> <laughs> but I saw, so that was the only time when I saw the, you know, declinations of what you're doing. And, you know, so it it spread. So then I thought, oh, this is why I'm an actor. I'm going to be able to, you know, pave my driveway pretty soon. (laughs) And uh, all of a sudden I did five shows. Now, five shows, you're a day player. You're a one-off each time. But if you do a sixth show, you're you're a regular. No, you're a, a recurring. And a recurring, you get a huge bump up. You can put a down payment on a house with a bump up. So I was looking for that on the fifth one. And then the fifth one, of course, they gave me a heart attack, <laughs> Mr. Heckles. And that really, that peed me, that P.O.'d me, that pissed me off. Really, I, I, that was the only time I ever reacted to rejection in, in acting. Because you got to get used to rejection. It's You audition, you don't get it. I, I do watch the show. If I don't get it, I'll watch the show to see who did get it. And then I go, oh, man, they picked him? What the <laughs> heck? What, are they crazy? Yeah, I would just go on. <laughs> it's, you know, just for a second, and then you go, you, you, you blow it out and go on with your life. But, yeah, I would react that way. I would watch it. 
was there one of the six of them who you enjoyed acting opposite the most? Is there someone who you felt that your chemistry with them was better than than than, than the others, or just one where you just went, I just really appreciated what, what what they were doing when I was opposite them? Well, the last part of the question is you you put your finger on it. You, or suddenly, I, I appreciated uh, the one who played the um, the ditzy one. Uh, what's her name? Oh, Phoebe. Um, Lisa Phoebe, Kudrow. Man. Yeah, Lisa Kudrow. She's amazing, man. She is one hell of a comic actress. Let me tell you. And so I loved working on that scene with her. She was just amazing with the cat. That was my first scene, <laughs> cat. But if you notice, if you watch that scene again, don't pay any attention to me or the scene. Pay attention to the cat and Lisa Kudrow in that scene. Watch it. Because that cat, I don't know, maybe it didn't get enough money or something, but it didn't (laughs) want to be there. And if you watch, and the cameraman tried to move away so he didn't have the cat in the frame. You try to, you know, just shove it so the cat was just off to the side. But that cat was... And she went, and you can look at her hand. Her hand, during, we didn't have the cat during rehearsal. So she would mime petting the cat. She would hold it like this and mime petting it. And she would do that the whole scene. She would do that and, and talk and do her lines. And I thought, this is not going to work. I don't know if these people know this, but you rehearse with animals and children because you don't know what they're going to do, man. They do anything they want. And if you just rehearse with them once and it's on camera, they're improving. That cat wanted to improv. I don't know. Maybe he didn't like the part. You know, maybe I want to do something else. And he thought... Anyway, so if you watch, you see she's she's struggling and her fingers are like white knuckles. Just totally, And that cat didn't want to. <laughs> and the camera would just go. With and then finally, when the scene was over, we did it the first time. The first time with the cat on camera with an audience. They did it. And then. Uh, the wrangler, the cat wrangler, the animal wrangler, came over to get the cat because he saw what the cat was doing. He wanted to calm it down or something. And so he started to take the cat from Lisa. So she handed the cat to him. And in the transference, that cat must have jumped, I don't know, 20 feet in the air. (laughs) Just exploded up, leapt up down, landed on its feet on the floor and ran and just disappeared backstage under things. And the director ran over and said, we can't shoot that, you know, get the cat, get the cat. We need to do the second take because, you know, the cat was doing this. And the wrangler said, that cat's gone. And then somebody else said, we're never going to find that cat. It's gone. And everybody's looking around. The cat's gone. The cat's gone. They said, well, what are we going to do? And the director said, we'll use that take, man. Let's move on. So that's why you can see this cat just going like that. Man. It's so funny. But, you know, see, those are the things that, and that's why I love Lisa Kudrow. She was a master 
locked in actress. She didn't blow a line. She did the entire scene. And when that scene was over, the nurse came over and her arm was bleeding. That cat was scratching the hell out of her. She just calmly, you know, she's doing this and she's calmly saying her line. She didn't, and you know, didn't forget one thing. And and me and the other actress, uh, you know, with the black hair, we were just like doing our lines too, but we were both stunned. You, you didn't mainly see our, our faces. It was from behind. So you didn't see my face at all. You saw from, the camera was behind, shooting past me to them and, and the cat. So yeah, that was that was an amazing thing. We didn't think we would get through it. And how would we do it again until the director just said, you know, the hell with the cat. Let's just move on. So I was very um, kind of sad because when he said, let's move on, we'll find out if we can use this scene in post, in editing, which meant to me that, oh, my God, if that cat was doing so much weirdness that they had to not use it, that's my only scene. You know, I didn't, and we weren't even on the air yet. So if that was cut, and I didn't know about the, the rest of the four scenes. I mean, that, I just came in for one day with that cat. So I thought, Man, they'll never see me. If this is a hit, I'll never be on, you know, because it's one scene, you know, and the director may say, no, we can't use it. But but they did, luckily, and I got at least five out of it. And, and I become famous because of that. I, you know, I do cameo, and that's all they do is Mr. Heckles. <laughs> you mentioned you were... Uh, frustrated uh, when you found out that they were killing you off. I guess. Yes, I guess. <laughs> did, did did that cause? Did it cause any sort of a sense when people are recognizing you out on the street now as Mister Heckles, and you've had maybe not the the send off that you that you would want? It was really. Did it cause any sort of a bitterness for a small season where you're like, I don't want to be associated with this part, or are you still grateful that you have this notoriety on, on account of this this well, franchise? Uh, you know, are you familiar with the, um, you know, I guess it's, if, I don't know his first name, Steve Reeves, something Reeves, uh, Superman, the Superman. Christopher thing. Reeves. Christopher Reeves. Are you familiar with that, that he committed suicide? You know about that, the whole thing? Or no, not? I don't. I, I know he had the, the accident on the horse. It's about, that's about all I know. Christopher Reeves committed suicide, and the reason he did, um, and I saw the, uh, the reason he did was because he couldn't get rid of the Superman thing. He couldn't work again ever after doing the Superman uh, series. They Everybody said, no, we can't hire you. Why not? Because you're Superman. And nobody's going to see the character. They're going to see, oh, there's Christopher Reeves. He's Superman. We can't use you. Sorry. He could never work again. And he committed suicide. And I was thinking about that. I said, oh, man, am I going to be Mr. Heckles for the rest of my life? No, please. Oh, God. So the rest of my life, I mean, after that, after the fame of that five, the fifth, in the third year, I was established as the character. Uh, so after the third year, during the summer when that went off and then there was no more of Mr. Heckles, then I got on the, to Cameo and then everybody started calling about you know, hey, have, have Mr. Heckles wish my friend a happy birthday or whatever. 
And I thought, oh my God, man, they, I would get not, nobody else. No, not, not old Joe, not Kowalski, not anybody, Kokolovich. It was just Mr. Heckles. I, I've done thousands of Mr. Heckles things on Cameo and nobody else, maybe one or two others and thousands of Mr. Heckles. And that started running through my mind. Oh my God, I'm going to be Mr. I'm going to be Mr. Heckles for the rest of my life. I, but no, it, it didn't happen. But it did uh, occur to me that I, that's what's going to happen. I'll, I'll be that for the rest of my life, and I won't be able to work anymore. Um, well, before that, we talked about it. I really do want to touch on it. You were, you have a great one-off, a one-shot on Seinfeld as Tom Pepper. The, uh, yeah, I the, love that. The, 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 the actor playing Kramer in yeah. the in the episode called the pilot which is not the pilot of the show it's it's this wonderful meta moment and you and michael richards are great opposite each other do you have any 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 memories of, of how that came about that uh oh that you to I, share? every memory i mean that, that was the great the, that was to me the greatest fun i ever had as an actor besides doing some incredible improv in the committee. You know, I was there for 10 years. I must have did something that was really funny. <laughs> and I thought, oh, wow. Oh, yeah, I did a Superman thing. Yes. It was a Superman thing that I did that I was like the Mr. Heckles of, it was the Mr. Heckles of the improv time that I was in the committee. It was, it was a Superman sketch. And that was really funny. And I loved doing it. And I invented it. I mean, w me and another person improved it, and we kept it in the show for a year. Yeah. So me, so um, um, me doing Kramer. I wanted to do it. In other words, when I when my agent sent me up for it, he said, "Hey, I got a good part for you." Well, what is it? Uh, you know, you ever watch uh, Seinfeld? Yeah. Well, you know the Kramer part. Yeah. 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 Well, they want you to do a, an imitation of it. Really? Because um, Michael Richards and me, Michael Richards and I, Michael Richards and me, uh, we, were be we were friends before that, years before that. We were up for a lot of things for the same part for years before Seinfeld ever was a twinkle in anybody's eye. So we knew each other just from seeing each other all the time. And then one time in a sitcom about a restaurant, we played brothers. So we acted <laughs> together and we looked kind of alike. So we brothers yeah. was great. And we played, a, uh, we held up the restaurant. That was what we did. Two brothers held up the restaurant. Now, the, the funny part about that was, it was very memorable because there was a scene where we come in together and we hold up the restaurant, which was on a stage, you know, just like a, a living room set. You know, every week it was the restaurant. But that was the set. So we came in and we robbed the place. Okay. But there was an escape scene, which was just on a green screen, which had nothing to do with an audience. It was backstage. It was shot after the audience left. It was just me and Michael in a truck cab with a green screen behind us. It was just on a set, you know, just a cat cab. And what it was, was we had dialogue as we were driving away, escaping from ha having robbed the, 
restaurant. So we had dialogue. And it was kind of, you know, funny dialogue about the robbery. So while the director was directing during rehearsals, the regular stuff, we had our own little set way off to the side where we could rehearse whenever we wanted because there's nobody using it and everybody was always over there rehearsing. So me and Richard would go and we would sit in the cab and we'd rehearse. Now, the thing about that was he likes, we're both funny people and we know each other and we know we're funny and I know he's funny and he knows I'm funny. (laughs) So what we were trying to do was get the funniest way to do the scene. But he likes to go over the top and I like to go under the under. Yeah. So. So all we did, we wouldn't rehearse. We would argue about how to do it funnier. No, no, do it my way. No, no, do it my way. No, see, if you say that and then I do this. No, let me do that and then you say. No, but if you say that, then I can't do this. Then how would you about that? So we just argued. And that argument I wish I could have recorded. Because two two comedians arguing about which is funnier is must have been hysterical because it was <laughs> stupid. It was just stupid, man. <laughs> you know. How do you make, how do you grok which is funnier you know, if you're arguing, you know? And then finally, when the director came, he said, I'll say, Let, let's see what you guys have for me, he said. Like we had worked it out. Like <laughs> you know, go, go back there and work it out, and I'll just come and direct you. So he came, he said, okay, let's see what you got. So he sat down, and we started to argue again. He said, well, I want to do it this way. He wants to do it that way. Well, just do it, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but you didn't that way. So he's, okay, stop. Okay, we're doing it my way. Okay. And then he would just tell us what to do. And we just did it that way. And that's how it was. So neither one, but the argument. Okay, so, but I wanted to do Kramer because I knew I could do Michael because it was Michael doing Kramer. And I thought, man, I know Michael. I can do that. So there's the only part that I ever really wanted to do, and I would do anything to get that part. I mean, I just wanted, I didn't care about acting or anything. I just said, I can do that. I want to do that. It's mine. I never had that feeling about anything. You know, it's just, uh, and uh, so we rehearsed it. And what they did, luckily, which I got to, it, it really put me in the right frame. Somebody, because once I got the job, you know, I, I auditioned and they kept on saying, come in like Kramer, come in the door like Kramer. That was the breaking point. I had to come in like Kramer, which I thought was pretty funny. If, you, if you're going to do Kramer, that's one of the things you have to get down. Certainly. Which I, I would never, if I had gotten Kramer, I would never have, I was up for the part. Of Kramer. Oh, really? Originally? Originally. Yeah, because both of us. Brilliant. Well, uh, I, I looked like Kramer. The real Kramer. The, 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 I, the I real Kramer. Like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but Michael went over the top. And when I watched the show to find out who got the part, because I was auditioning for Kramer. When I watched the show and saw what Kramer, what Michael was doing, I thought, hey, man. Michael, you got it. I, I wouldn't have done it anything like that. I would have gone under. What a, goes over. 
and it was right. What a great art imitates life, because the scene that we're talking about, uh, the character of Kramer, Michael Richards, is trying to give you advice on how to play the part, and you come back with, I'm not going to play it like that. Yeah. What a yeah. wonderful no, I'm moment. I'm Kramer. No, I'm Kramer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so when I did it, what they did, what the Seinfeld production office, maybe Larry David, I don't know who, but sent me the tape of the scene that I was supposed to do that was a real scene that Michael Richard had done in an episode about putting the uh the the pillows on the couch. Right. That's yeah. a real scene that that was a Seinfeld yeah, episode. And they sent me that scene. And they said, This is a scene that you're gonna do to imitate Kramer. So I just watched that scene for about, I don't know, yeah, a thousand times. I mean, really a lot. And I just imitated. So I wasn't even acting. I was just doing Michael Richards. I was just imitating him like a parrot. <laughs> but I had him down because I would just watch it day after day after day. And get it down. So there was nobody who could approach according to my assumption that I, I, I got this, man. Tell you something I, I got a chance to watch, and George, I think you did as well, yeah. is uh, most people know you as a as, a, as an actor, obviously, through your work uh, on Friends. As a Seinfeld. homo sapien. As a homo sapien. What they might not know is that you also have done some writing and directing of short film and were nominated for Academy Award for Solly's yeah. Diner. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I mean, it was it was hell making it, but it it was also fun and very educational. You find out how to make a film. I didn't know how to direct. I didn't know who I was going to get to direct. And the cinematographer, who was a friend of mine, uh, Harry Mathias, who's a big marker now, really big at Kodak. Oh. <laughs> he, I think, owns, not owns, owns, but I mean, is in charge of, Whatever film is at Kodak. I mean, he's in charge of a huge thing now. But he told me, he said, "No, no, you have to direct this." I go, "I don't, I don't want, I don't know how to direct." And he kept on saying, "No, no, don't worry, I'll help you." Now I found out later why. So, for you people who want to direct movies, don't ever direct if the cinematographer says, "You direct, I'll help you." Don't, don't don't do that, because what he wants to do is protect the cinematography. That's what he's doing by helping you direct. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's put the camera here. When we get into the editing room, I'll help you edit. This is cinematographer Harry Mathias saying. So when we got into the editing room, all he wanted to do because he wanted a reel. I mean, he mm. wasn't a cinematographer yet. He was my friend who was a camera operator. Really good eye, good guy, perfect. But he wanted to, he wanted to be the cinematographer for my film short, and he would work for free so he could get a reel to become a cinematographer, right. like a, an actor's reel. So in the editing room, not only did he help me direct where to put the camera <laughs> but he also helped me edit by protecting where the ca you know the sh the camera that he wanted to use the shot of you know so he said no no let's use this shot 
Yeah, but it doesn't tell the story. Yeah, yeah, but I need this. <laughs> you need this? <laughs> I mean, so he would fight. I mean, I threatened to burn the film. That's how bad it got. I said, look, man, if 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 you don't let me direct this, uh, if you don't let me edit this the way I want to, to edit, you know, I'm going to burn the film. No, no, don't do that. No, I have the key to the editing room. I can do that right now. This is a this is a conversation we had on the phone at like twelve midnight. I'm telling him. I'm, I'm talking on the phone. He's at home. I'm at home. Twelve midnight. I'm saying I'm lying to him. <laughs> I have the key to the editing room. I'll go down there right now, MF, and I'm going to burn the film now. Unless, okay, okay, Larry, okay, okay. I mean, yeah, it got that crazy, but it got an Academy Award, and I got to thank Harry for that. I mean, totally, I got to thank Harry for that. Awesome. I mean, he, he, you know, guided the whole thing. He produced it, guided the whole thing, was a cinematographer, helped me direct. Great. He was great. He was the one, his wife was the one who told me to do it. His wife was the one who told me to write it. He told me, cut it down. I mean, he had a lot to do with it, really. Yeah. You know, and I got all the credit. I'll tell you what. You look at that opening shot. I'll say this: that opening. There's a long shot as you go into the diner. That it's was a, his. That's it's Harry, a, man. It's a fantastic shot. Guy made the right call going to that line because <laughs> it's a tremendous was, shot. And you want to know something that I didn't want that shot? Oh no! I fought like hell. As a matter of fact, he told me that because that was the last shot of the night. It was a night shoot. And we were gaining the light. And if you see, you see outside the window for a lot of the film. Yes. And everything was shot right before the sun came up. And the sun was going to hit the window. The sun was coming up right through that window. And, and once the sun came up and, the, and hit that window, the shoot was over. It's a night shoot. You can't have that morning light. So we were, he said, Larry, I said, I don't want the camera facing... I wanted the camera. Now, wait a minute. How did that work? I wanted the camera facing the other way. I wanted the camera facing by the window, facing the back. I didn't care about the morning light. We wouldn't be facing the window. We'd be facing away from the window. And he wanted it. He wanted to shoot the night outside that window. So he said, let's leave it till last. Let's not argue. Let's just go on with the shoot. And we'll do that last. It's a single shot. It's a long shot. We'll save it for last. Well, we save it for last until finally the light, the sun was coming up. And we still had, didn't have that opening shot. And I said, I want the camera. And he said, no, I want to get the, that, you know, cinematography, you know, the real. I need this. <laughs> And he's, and then we, we started to argue right in front of him. And it was his crew. And they started to get antsy because we were standing in Sally's diner just arguing. You know, no, yes, no, yes, no. So the crew said to Harry, they called him over this. Can we talk to you for a second? Goes over there. And he comes back to me. He says, okay, if we keep arguing, the crew is going to quit. So that's it. So... You want to argue, you're going to not have a crew. Why don't you just get the hell out of here, walk around the block. We'll set it up for your shot. 
but get out of here. The, the crew doesn't want to hear this. So he said, okay, I understand totally. I mean, he calmed me down. He made me sane. I walked around a block. It was a huge block, a long, big block. It was uh, Western and uh, Western and Sunset, I think. Big, long block. Walked around the block, and I could see the sky is starting to tinge like little purple. I go, wow, man, we got to get this. Uh, thank, thank God I won. <laughs> you know, because I, I get back, and he set it up for his shot. <laughs> I go, Harry, what did you do? He said, I set it up for my shot, Larry, and don't argue. The crew will leave, and we have no time to change it. You see that? The sun's coming up. By the time we get your shot set up, this whole thing will be afternoon. It'll be all lit by the sun. So shut up. Get out of the way. Get in your place. You know, do your acting. So I said, okay. When I see the movie, I said, man, that's a great shot. <laughs> that is a great shot. Thank God Harry just told me to get the hell out of there. And I listened to him. So I, mean, I, I guess I did have some sense. I wasn't like totally crazy. I did walk around the block. But when I came back, man, I said, what? <laughs> Larry, don't, don't cruel leave. I'm telling you, Larry. <laughs> just shut up. Get in your place and let's just do this. You know, we don't have time. The sun's coming up. Okay. Uh, yeah, met- so that was fun. But it got an Academy Award. Thank you very there much. You go. Yeah, I, I, I did really enjoy it. Um, you <laughs> you mentioned earlier that uh, you were you were up for the role of Kramer previously. Reading your book, I also found out that you were almost one of the wet bandits in Home Alone, a film that you do make an appearance in later on. But uh, you, you talk about Daniel Stern's part and how you... Uh, oh, 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 that. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, well, I, I tell you what. Okay, here's the here's the upside. Again, another upside happenstance for being an actor. You yeah. know, there's a lot of down, down or weird or funny stuff in the book, but this is the upside of acting. Okay, so I was up for Daniel Stearns, and they called and they said, uh, "You got to fly out t- tonight because we got to start shooting you." in the morning to replace Daniel Stern. Um, So uh, my agent said, "Um, pack your bag. Daniel Stern is negotiating. He wants to quit or get more money. He wants to get as much as Joe Pesci. Ha ha. You know, Daniel, (laughs) not Joe Pesci. Come on, man. Uh, I knew that. But he was, you know, he's going to walk. But, but you see that what he had was they had shot three days of Daniel Stern already in the can. So he figured he's got some wiggle room here. If they replace him, they're going to have to go back and reshoot three days, which is a lot of money. So he figured he's got them over a barrel. They have to, you know, capitulate, but they wouldn't. So they called back and they said, um, Look, we're on the phone with Daniel right now, with Daniel's people, and uh, my agent was telling me this. So if Daniel doesn't back down and and wants the money or quit, we're going to let him quit, and then we're going to replace him with you, Larry. 
So I said, great. So he said, but it's down to the conversation right now. While we're talking to you, they're talking to him. So as soon as that conversation is over, we'll call you back and you will know. Okay, so give us a half hour. So a half hour later, they called and they said, Daniel uh, backed off. He's in the movie. He doesn't want to raise. So forget it, Larry. So uh, again, I lost the house and the pavement and the, the <laughs> again. So that's the second time. So, uh, you know, I was really pissed. Uh, my agent said, hey, there's other jobs. You know, that's what they always say. Hey, Larry, you know, it's just you, you, you didn't get the job. There's other jobs. Thank you. Click. I said, okay. And you forget about it. You do. I mean, you have to. That's part of the game of being an actor. You just got to go on and... Okay, so about three weeks later, I get another call and they say, hey, listen, it's uh, Home Alone again. They want to talk to you. And I go, oh, man, no. If Daniel Stern wants to quit again, I don't even want to talk to him. I'm not going to go through that. And then he's going to back down anyway. No, I don't want to talk to him. They say, no, it's different. I go, okay, let me talk to him. So they said, okay, here's the deal. The, the, the movie, and this is really weird. This is really what they said. This is a producer talking to me on the phone. We need you in this movie, Larry, because the movie is cursed. I go, what? He goes, the movie is cursed, and we think it's cursed because of what we did to you. We set you up, and we pulled the rug from out under you. We told you you were going to get you know a big payday with Daniel Stern thing, and he turned it down. And he came through and we told you no. So we fucked you over, basically. And I think now the movie is cursed. We can't proceed. And so we want you in the movie. I, I said, this sounds really cool. I didn't believe what I thought there was, this was a joke or a prank or something. I mean, the movie is cursed. I mean, this is like, this is a big tentpole movie. And it's cursed. So I didn't believe them. So he said, I don't. He said, well, you know. I don't want to. And, and then he said, no, 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 we're willing to we're willing to negotiate with you. We need you in the movie. This is not a joke. And we can't take no for an answer. We can't continue shooting until we get you in the movie. And this is what this producer is telling me. So I said, OK, what's the deal? He said, well, fly your first class. You got to fly out tonight. We'll put you up in a really big hotel. Uh if you fly, uh, I said, well, what about if I fly in the morning? She said, oh, okay, you can fly in the morning. Okay. Okay. So as soon as you show up, we'll pick you up in a, in a, in a limo, take you to the airport, pick you up at the other end of the airport, drop you off. The set will be set up for you to just get out of the car, shoot, get into costume, we'll shoot your scene. It's only five lines. It's the cop. It's the only uh, part that we have open we can't fire anybody because the union won't let us. You, you can't fire them. It has to be for cause. We can't be just to hire another actor. We can't do that. But this is the only open part. Five lines. I said, well, five lines. No, I don't want to do it. But thank you very much. <laughs> what I was thinking is, screw your movie. <laughs> no, I don't want to do it. He said, well, we'll also pay you $10,000 for the five lines. Okay, let's do this. <laughs> okay, you know, I'm I'm there. I flew in, got out of the limo, you know, limo limo to the airport, limo from the airport to the thing, guy waiting outside at the curb. 
Let's go, Larry. Boom. Oh, and, he, and here's the thing. The producer said to me, because we're paying you so much, Larry, and it's only five lines, I said, what is it? He says, it's a cop. You're on the phone. It's the, the, the mom calls and says, go check my kid. We left him at home. And I, I just say, well, you want me to check on the kid? You know, Rose, uh, hyper on two. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's the part. And they said, uh, so we'll pay you that, that kind of money. Um, and I said, they said, okay, so it's a cop. I said, oh, it's a cop. And he said, yeah, so you want any kind of prop or anything like that? I mean, we're paying you a lot of money. So whatever you want, you got it. Just name it. You, it's there. But please say yes. So I said, okay, I want a, I want a, a donut. I want a glazed donut. <laughs> that's it? Yeah, that's it. I'm a cop. I want a glazed donut. Glazed donut. I want to be eating a glazed donut while I'm on the phone. Okay, fine. We'll see you here tomorrow. Okay, great. All right, so I, the next day, there's the limo downstairs. You hop in a limo, white limo, white stretch limo. There, white stretch limo at the other end. Boom, guy waiting. Boom, get in a costume. I get in the costume, I come back, I say, and they say, all right, just get in the set, we'll shoot you. And the, the limo didn't leave. He said, we'll just shoot you, take you out an hour, we'll get you in, maybe, you know, and then we'll put you back in the thing, back to the airport, you sleep in your own bed tonight. Boom, how about that? I said, where's my donut? He <laughs> said, you have a glazed donut. And he goes, and he called, donuts. And what they do is they wheel out this baker's rolling tray of donuts. You know the things that they roll around and they're high and they got boom, 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 boom. Yeah. yeah. Filled with glazed donuts. <laughs> 300 <laughs> glazed donuts. <laughs> I got, so I, I go, oh, and the, and the producer's laughing. He goes, I go, what, what is this? You know, joking around. I see 300 glazed donuts. And they wheel it up right next to the camera. And I go, I asked for one glazed donut. And the producer, aha, you know, very funny. He goes, well, we might have to do a second take, Larry. <laughs> aha, okay, cool. All right, let's just do this and let me go home. He said, you want to stay overnight? You can watch us, uh, you know. No, I just want to get out of here. That, that was my attitude. That was my yeah. real attitude. Now, Chris Columbus, who was the director, was standing there too. He's watching all this. So he was on my side. He, he knew this was, you know, I mean, he's a director. He's directed a lot of movies. He knows when something is weird. I mean, the producers want Larry to do this scene for $10,000, and they're going to fly him in and out in an hour. And so he's laughing, too. So he's laughing at all this. He's, Larry, come on, let's just do this. Get Put you in the, you know, in the cab, on the limo and fly home. So I get in the scene. Now... It was one take, you know, blah, 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 Rose, hyper on two, boom. And before I yell, he yells cut, he yells cut. In other words, before the end of the scene, before I yell Rose, hyper on two, he yells cut. So that means, what happened? So he said, oh, wait, the camera jiggled. Got to do it again. So the producer said, oh, hey, we got 300, you know. Hey, <laughs> ha, 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 ha. So I eat another donut. In the middle of that scene, second take, cut, now what? Uh, camera went off the dolly. 
Okay, another donut. Okay, I eat another donut. Fourth take, the lights blow. It was so hot on this soundstage in Chicago that the light blew and showered down shattered glass all over the set. So they had a break for a half hour to clean up all the shards of glass and everything. Brushed me off. Boom. So that, okay, we did that 10 times. And each time something went wrong, had nothing to do with me. It was a technical thing. And I started to think, holy cow, the movie is cursed. I see what they're saying. This is what's going on. And I see the producers are doing the same thing. They're like white as a sheet. They're saying, oh, my God. And I'm thinking, they got Larry here. I'm in the thing. This is to get the curse off. And it's not working. I'm thinking, I'm not good enough? (laughs) What? What? I mean, they got Larry. I'm here. What's going on? So, I mean, everybody's worried. Even Chris was worried. I said, geez, okay, let's do it again. So I had eaten 10 donuts. I'm getting sick of this. Yeah. And I'm also getting tired of doing it. I mean, it was five lines. Come on, man. And also, the movie is cursed. It was really weird. On the 11th take, we go all the way through the scene. And he goes, cut. End of the scene. And everybody applauds. And everybody laughs. I go, what are they laughing about? So I say, and... I said, no, we got through the scene. And you said, cut. And the director goes, I want you to see this, Larry. I go, no, no, I just want to do it again. I don't want to watch me fuck up. No, I just want to do it again. He said, we're not doing it again. Because you're assuming that because they laughed, you've made a mistake? Yeah, I made a mistake. So that's what I assumed, yeah. He said, no, you got to watch it. I don't want to watch it. He says, you've got to. Let's just go over there. (laughs) So I go over there and watch it, and I see the donut piece fall on the phone and it sticks there. And I go, oh man, okay, I told you I fucked up. I didn't want to see this. Let's do it again. He said, no, 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 no. We're not shooting that again. We're keeping that. That's going in the movie, Larry. And I go, why? And he said, that's what's known, Larry, as capturing lightning in a bottle. That's funny, Larry. (laughs) You're released. Goodbye. And I hopped in the limo and went away. And sure enough, there it is. And I'm famous for that. Now, that's just five lines. And I cannot explain how in Home Alone, which comes out every Christmas, that's the only time I get on the cameo. Hey, do the Home Alone thing with the donut. (laughs) And there's everybody in Home Alone remembers Rose uh, you know, a hyper on two, the donut. And they think, is that a green screen? When people come up to me, that's what they ask me. How did you do the donut thing? How did you get the donut to fall on the phone? You know, and they ask me, you know, I said, well, it's not what you think. Yeah, but I, I can't go. It's a long explanation. I'm sorry, but, you know. Uh, yeah, so that's the Home Alone story. That, that was $10,000, and everybody remembers it. Where did that come from? That's like out of the blue. That that's see, that's also movies. Yeah, you know, we would say in this country, swings and roundabouts. Swings and roundabouts. <laughs> you win some, you lose some, I suppose. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, 
Yeah, so, but that's the upside of being an actor. It's weird down here. Well, I'm, I'm near the beach and it's freezing. I'm in California, man. <laughs> it's freezing. I don't know what happened with this world, with this planet, uh, you know, warming and stuff. It's warming, but it's freezing in California. It's it's warming everywhere else. So, uh, yeah, I, so I'm writing another book is what I'm doing. Oh, you really? I don't talk much. Uh, yeah, this is a, a fiction. It's just... Uh, I, I lived homeless for a year. Um, I was homeless for a year. I lived in my car for a year. So I'm writing about that. So it's not about acting. It's about it's about surviving. So is that sorry? I'm, sorry if I missed this. Is this is this is this fiction inspired by that, or is it the story of? Well, of, yeah, of your- no. In other words, it happened when I was in my 30s, when I was you know just starting out as an actor, or you know. And um, so I lived in my car while I was auditioning. Up, It was up in San Francisco. Uh, so I lived in my car for a year. And uh, now, so that, my 30s is a long time ago. So I didn't think about writing ever. And then I wrote this book and it got published. So I thought, well, I'll write another one. But uh, I blew all my show business stories. So I thought, well, I'll write a story about my time being homeless. Yeah. That's what's happening now around here in California. And I live near the beach and everybody has moved. The homeless people live by the beach. So I thought, well, I was that. So let me write about that. But I mean, that's so long ago when I was 30 and I was homeless for a year. So that year, it's very hard to remember specifically the kind of stuff that I put in the, that guy book because that was specific and I was repeating it daily as it happened. Yeah. So it was impinged on my mind, all the facts. This happened so long ago that I all the little minutiae that makes things real, I've forgotten, you know. So I have to make it a fiction about a guy who was homeless. And then I just pick up little stuff that I either read about or see here, now, contemporary, or that I... Uh, memory is really funny that if you tap it enough times, it it bursts open. So if I pay enough attention, do enough research now around here in real time with the homeless people around me now, and I make notes, suddenly all the things that I did when I was 30 start to come back to me. So... That's, I never knew memory worked like that. You know, you just try to remember stuff and you either can or you can't. Certainly. But I find that if I do research about it, even if it's not in the same time frame, my memory comes back. It starts to come back. I thought it was gone, but no, it's there. It's just really buried deep, you know. And what's that been like when you have these moments where you suddenly, there's pockets of stuff. Has it been therapeutic for you? Has it been fascinating for you? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, because uh, reading that book, uh, that guy. Yeah. uh, I wrote that now a year and a half ago. I wrote it in six months. So a year and a half ago, I finished it. It's taken me a year to find a publisher and then another three months to get it published once I got the publisher. You have to, have to, there's a lag time. you know. Sure. So when I read that book now, 
that guy. I found I find out a lot about who I was and then the fuck ups and and I go, I really believed that then? You know, it's like a question mark. How did I, you know, or I did that then? Why did I do that? You find out a lot about it. So in the jogging of the memory, like even 40, 50, 60 years ago, whatever it was, when I was 30, um, I find that, oh, wow, that's what I did then because I thought that then. So it does clear up a lot of, you know, why do I do that? Oh, I see. It's stuck with me since back then. Or it even goes further back to my father. It just jogs a lot of stuff that come up either because a word connects to something or an action connects to something. Something taps it that you go, oh, there's a real memory. You know, there's a connect. It has to have a connection. There has to be some connection some way. Uh, by By seeing something that somebody does now, like, for instance, I go down there, and uh, I'm about four blocks from the beach, and I'm also three blocks from a ma- major boulevard with a center, uh, you know, thing in the, in the middle of the, of the boulevard, the center, uh, oh, yes, center grass thing, mid, mid thing. Well, that's where all the, all the homeless people live now, okay. in the tents, on that mid thing. Well, if I go by there, and I some sometimes I'll talk to them. Some I, some of them I, I know my friends, or my friends know them. So there's an intermingling of the people, and I'll say, you know, they'll say, well, how how where 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 are you going for food? Where where are you eating? And they'll say, well, I'm going to eat down there, or I got this, or, and then that'll jog eating. Oh, how did I eat back then? And then, oh, I remember, boom. So it comes back, and then I'll something about an eating thing that I had when I had when I fought with my father around the table. You know, it just boom, 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 boom. So what I do is I just make notes of the exact memory. You know, like eating with my eating at dinner dinner time with dad. That's all I write down. That was all that jogged. I got a picture of it. Okay, write it down. And then a couple of weeks later, when I'm ready to write about my fictional guy eating and I check that sentence, the whole thing will come back. The whole picture. It'll 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 widen out because of that one sentence. And then I just put that down, but I say that character was there at dinner with his father, not mine. So it's fiction. It's real, but I just change the names and the time frame. You know, so that's how you write. That's how you write. You know, you just you use what's real and then you change the name or you massage the situation to fit your story. But it comes from a real thing. I learned that by writing. I learned that by doing, the, you know, by reading a lot of books. Uh, one of the books I read that influenced this was, um, I don't know if I should tell you this. Then people will say, oh, it's just like that. I don't think. <laughs> I okay. What? I won't tell you where I'm copying it from, but yeah, but I mean, there are a lot of books that are written that way. They're memories, memoir, yeah, but they're fiction. Oh, here's another thing I learned about making a book. You, you have to write the, it's like genres in movies, but you have to write in a genre or, or they won't touch it, man. Yeah. And there's three genres. There's fiction, 
memoir and how-to, uh, self-help. Fiction, memoir, and self-help. And if you're not writing in one of those really basic, they won't touch it. They won't. Uh, and I had, a, I had to make sure that mine was in memoir. And, and the whole thing about the difference between memoir and biography, which is non, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, nonfiction. Memoir, nonfiction. And uh, memoir, nonfiction. Self-help? Fiction okay. and self-help. Yeah. There's four. Uh, so, and the, the difference between fiction and biography and memoir is, memoir, they can't sue you. I can say I was on your show and uh, you said so-and-so. And I just made that up. Yeah. Know? I said, and you cursed a lot, I said in my thing. And, but I said your name. Okay. And, and you say, no, I never said that. I don't curse. And so you sue me. Now, as a memoir, you can't sue me because it's my memory. Okay. Even in, even in court. You say, well, it's my memory. Well, your memory can be faulty. We know that memory is faulty. So you can't sue me because it's a memoir. Memoir means um, means kind of fiction based on fact, but you can't sue. Biography, you could sue me because biography is fact. Right. You know, I was there. He said that. And if you didn't, you can sue me because it's a biography. Yeah. And that means... I had to get it exactly right. And if you can prove that you didn't say it, you know, you win. And then fiction is just, you just make it up. It doesn't really matter. And you can't sue at all because nothing is right and you don't use right names. If I use your name and said it was fiction and you didn't say it, you could also sue me. I didn't say that and you said it was fiction. No, I mean, I, I really said that and you said it was fiction. And then, you know, so, so I had to get that straight before I ever got a publisher. And, and that took a, a little while of, uh, you know, no, you can't. We don't sell those kind of books is what is what the answer is. So the, the, that's how that worked. But, yeah, I'm writing another book. So I'm, I'm learning. That book was just I put it down and sent it out. Now, this one, I have to. Le- learn what I can't write, what I can write, what I can be sued for, what I can't <laughs> be Because it's a fiction book and people can sue me if I do the wrong thing. Are you writing in the same manner where you did voice to tape for the memoir? No. So no, it, it, it's, is it more of a traditional sit down and type it out? And then you have to learn how to do that. I'm learning how to do it, where I can relax and just sit there and, you know, and just sit and think for, as a friend of mine just said last night, hey, man, it's part of the, it's, it's part of, it's, it's part of the course. It's part for the course. Sitting and just staring at a blank page or staring at a paragraph for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, just looking at it and looking at it. Is that is that especially frustrating considering your background in improv and how quickly inspiration strikes in that capacity? Well, yeah. So I had to learn how to be patient. I mean, in the beginning, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> I mean, I just would sit there, you know, and if I go, go blank, I, what the fuck, man, what is this all about? <laughs> I, you know, how do, how do people write? I mean, you can't just sit here and do nothing. Uh, but then I started talking to other authors 
And I saw, well, no, they just said, well, you know, you just sit there and stare at a blank page. Oh, really? Yeah, that's, that's yeah, how you write. And they say, it's part of the process, Larry. Really? Oh, let me try that. You know, then you start, okay. And then you say, oh, that's the wrong word. That happened to me just recently. I mean, like yesterday when I was writing. I found that now it's like a, 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 a treat in a way. It's a, oh, how long have I been sitting here staring at this uh, paragraph? 15 minutes. Wow, man. <laughs> but but what it is, is it's, it's not a, it's a, it's a, it's a, oh, I don't know. It's a good, uh, it's a process. It's, it is a good process. What you're, what you're doing, man, instead of getting high, you know, like a marijuana or heroin or whatever the fuck you get high on, <laughs> beer or liquor, what it does is it shuts down your mind from spinning so you can't like lock on to a thought. That's what's sitting there and being bothered is there's no focus. You're thinking about this. You're thinking about going outside. You're not thinking about this page. So you shut down. So just facing, facing the page is like a Zen Buddhist Zen thing. And you become relaxed. And then you see a word. Yeah, yesterday, yesterday, I said, that's the wrong word, man. The end of sentence, blah, 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 end of the paragraph, blah, blah, blah. That's the wrong word. I mean, this would be the right word. Okay. That's writing now. I just wrote a really good sentence. But I had to relax for 15 minutes. I had to stare for 15 minutes to change a word. Now, sometimes it's not a word. Sometimes it's a whole gist of a paragraph. You understand, oh, what I was saying, what I started to say was this, and I just got off the track. So you, you, it takes you 15 minutes to see, no, no, that's a better thought. Let me just erase the last three sentences and go back on track and track it down to this. Okay, blah, 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 blah. So it's a relaxation where you can see the sense of getting what you're writing, getting the story, getting the track of instead of all these different thoughts of where I want to go and what I want to drink and I got to go to the bathroom now and blah, blah, blah. So it, it's, it really, after I got it, after I grokked it to see what the difference was between improv and writing. Two different things. It's like driving a car and digging a ditch. I mean, you're digging a ditch. You're not driving a car. Or you're driving a car. You're not digging a ditch. You know, get it straight. So you're writing. You're not improv. You know, that was improv, you know, the, the, the other book. Yeah. That was the memory of, of, memory of improv. Memory of improv. Blah, blah, blah. But this is you're making it up. So what, what would, well, like, like yesterday I was doing, um, I found out, I, I, I wrote myself into a corner where I had a character doing something I didn't think he would do. It would be out of character. And then I said, well, what happens? You know, so I thought, well, what should he do? What should he do? He wouldn't do that. He, it would. And then I thought, no, I'm going to have him do that. Now let's see him get out of it. And that was writing. Because about, you know, 10, 20 minutes later, I thought, oh, 
he would do this. Boom. And it changed everything that came, well, the, the page before it, because it was completely something that you wouldn't think he would do. So if he did it, that meant, wow, man, he was lying. That's okay. And in my story, that would be okay. In somebody else's story, no. So in other words, sometimes, you know, there's like a happenstance, a mistake that turned into a a move forward. I mean, you know, it's it's, it's art, man. (laughs) No, it's, it's, you, you take a topic, you guys are doing a podcast, you start talking down, you know, a street, and then you take a left turn and, oh, wow, look what we found. We take lots of left turns on this podcast. (laughs) Say that again? We take lots of left turns. Nothing ever stays on the straight line. Yeah, but it's it's great sometimes. And that's what you're looking for. You know, oh, man, a left turn. I I don't want to go down. Yeah, let's go down there. Let's see what happens. Oh, wow. It opened up a whole new, you know, freed me again. But it's different. And it's different. And and also, I like the learning process. I, I... I, I got into the, once you grasp how to learn this particular thing, it becomes fun again. You know, you get the fun of learning. There is a fun to learning. Uh, it's until you learn how to learn, you know, that's the. I'm a teacher by trade, man. So it's great to, hear. <laughs> I will fully endorse. the. Well, if you can turn the the students into get, grokking the, the learning yeah. joy. Yeah. You know the the thing. Okay, I, I yeah, I should I should uh, really go. Okay, That's so well, thank you very much. Thank you. Like I said earlier, you are a natural storyteller. We 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 read it in the book, and we have been privileged to sit and again, it's, it's the same sort of tone, but just to sit here at the feet of 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 uh, of a storyteller. And so oh, catch that catch that guy. It's on it's yeah. on Amazon uh, Amazon dot com Amazon uh, ship ship to the UK nice and quick for me so it's it's full if you like what you heard today it's full of these sorts of stories going through and keep an eye out for larry's larry's a novel coming out at some point in the future some point yeah uh, are you in england is that where you we are? are in england yeah. my accent betrays me i have a canadian accent but yeah we are in the uk oh most I of us sound like that. me that's cool <laughs> <laughs> hey you- well, I know. I thought, well, you're the anomaly. No, it's him. It's me. He's the anomaly. I'm the anomaly. <laughs> but that's cool. I mean, it's it's like your next door, you know? I mean, it's really weird. What a wonderful time we live in where stuff like this yeah. is possible. Yeah, and, and and also there's climate change and we're doomed. But other than there is that, that too. Yeah, yeah. That's doom is great. Yeah, okay. <laughs> One last cautionary <laughs> tale from Larry Hankin. Doom is inspirational. Take it easy. We'll Thank see you so you next, next time. You know, do this, you know, a couple of months down the road. Would okay. love to, sir. We'll, okay, man. We'll try to keep the noise down. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm just going to record a couple of minutes of actual feedback cool to that. dude. <laughs> what a remarkable. Genuinely inspirational, some of that stuff. Like, yeah, I mean, he kind of. In out- a very strange way. He kind of outed his age in a couple of places. But, I mean, like, you know, so, you know, this guy started his, his Hollywood career, and right? he was like 30. Yeah. And now it's fifty something years down the line. Yeah. What I, I mean, I, I got. To, I, I could have asked. I had stories for about ten other things we could have gone to, but like I said, the guy's just a born storyteller. Yeah, he is. So you know, um, and I'll tell you what. Like some of them are. 
like you can tell this is these are the stories he shares in his book are stories he has told obviously verbally over and over and over again because he's hitting it almost beat for beat it was like he was reading his book in places you should just do an audio book it'd be brilliant (laughs) this guy needs to be figuring out a way to do i guess the travel would be something but like a spoken word tour yeah where he just goes around and just tells stories not too dissimilar like from charles dickens did in the day charles dickens yeah. but who did liam see not that long ago uh, uh magneto uh, yeah, uh yeah. ian mckellen ian mckellen yeah like something like that would be absolutely fantastic and when i think about the guests we've had on i mean there's some who have been really really excited to have i mean this is right up there yeah and what a just a lovely man full of the vibrancy of life yeah i genuinely a little bit inspirational i kind of went yeah oh wow you're still doing all of this and then doing and talking about everything that you have done i mean i can't even i can't imagine it i mean he's but still has goals still has things, still like, has things he's i'm gonna go to do, yeah. i'm gonna go I, i've achieved this level of success but now but now i'm really into this thing yeah so that is fantastic yeah, it's amazing. I mean, he's the only a couple com- of years younger than my nana, and I mean, <laughs> nana just kind of potters around the house. Like, it's just incredible. The complete opposite of Mr. Heckles. Yeah. Like, you just think about it, and you go, what a remarkable journey. And hey, it seems like he had fun, because he's... He, yeah. he, he was suggesting, let's do it again sometime. I would, because I got all these questions about... We didn't talk about Breaking Bad. We talk yeah. about Pretty Woman, planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> a, a plethora. A Star Trek. Sorry, Anthony and Davies. I did have a question about Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> but how do you, with, with with the wealth of the stories we were getting, you can't. You don't want to cut it short just to fit more questions no. in. You want to let the questions go where they're naturally going to go. Let them take the left turn. So yes, let let the left turn and, and let. Let the donut hit the phone. Yep. Let the magic happen and go, no, no, no. we keep that one in because yep. that's the good stuff. So uh, couldn't be uh, any more thankful, Mr. Hankin. Um, an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. Absolutely.